Last weekend, we began a new series of messages called Let the Nations Be Glad. We're talking about discovering that God has a heart, not just for me, not just for you, not just for our area, thank God that He does, but that God has a heart for all the peoples of the world. And if you just want to boil that down to one word, really, it's kind of like what the guy on the screen was just talking about. If you just want to boil it down to one word, that's what we call missions. It's about taking the good news to every person in the world we possibly can. But many times when we talk about sharing about God with others, whether it's around the world or or whether it's around the corner or whether it's across your classroom or across your desk, many times followers of Jesus, we get nervous about that. We get nervous when we start hearing a challenge to share about God. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Some of the ones that I hear very often are fear of rejection. People say, well, if I talk about God, what if other people don't like that or don't appreciate that or, or don't agree with that or, or, you know, how do I deal with that? And sometimes people have bad perceptions about what it's like to share about God. They've heard about, you know, you've got to be obnoxious or you've got to bang on doors or, or things like that. And I don't want to be one of those people. I don't want to be one of those door knockers or obnoxious people that are kind of forcing uh, God on other people. Other people kind of uh, see it as, a, as, as it's almost like a burden. It's like an obligation. In fact, me and the churches I kind of grew up with, and I, I almost felt the, uh, it was more of a burden than, than a privilege to share about God. It was like, you know, you have to. God commanded us to. You better, okay? You're supposed to share. Just do it. Well, certainly, rejection is a real possibility if you talk to other people about God. Though I will say to you, I do not think it's as much as many people think it is. And certainly there are some bad apples out there that have given God and his word and his message a bad name. And certainly God has commanded us to go. It is an imperative, but not an imperative in a sense of a burden. It's not like punishment. It's not like God said, okay, I'm going to make y'all suffer. I'm going to make y'all go out there and tell other people about me because I just really want to make it hard on you. The, really, the reason it's an imperative is because it's important, because it's critical for people to know the wonderful news. But here's kind of what I want to focus on tonight. I just want to ask you this question. Have you personally experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you personally understood that Christ died on the cross for you? He died for your sins. He paid the debt for you. What you owed to God, God said, I will pay that myself. He rose from the dead to show what would have destroyed us. He is victorious, more than victorious over And if you come to a point in your life where you've accepted that gift and been transformed, your life transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Now, if you can't say yes to that tonight, that's really the main issue, okay? Really, the main issue is, have I personally received that gift myself? That's the most pressing thing. But I want to ask you, if you have received that gift, has that changed your life? Amen? Has it changed your life? What difference does it make that you gave your life to Jesus Christ? I want to tell you, for me personally, it's made all the difference. Where do I start? Amen? God has changed where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to heaven, not because Robbie's so good, but because of God's faithfulness and His goodness. It's changed my view of myself. I don't view myself based on my strengths or my weaknesses or, or my good or my bad. I view myself based on the sufficiency of my Savior who's given Himself for me. The quality of my marriage, the peace in my heart, the confidence in how to make decisions and how to be a parent and everything about my life has been impacted because I gave my life to Jesus Christ. If you've experienced that, I want to ask you this question. 
Don't you have a desire for other people to know him? Amen. I mean, let's just take it. Let's don't take it from that duty and obligation and, and just because you're supposed to kind of thing. Let's just take it purely from, from what has happened in your life. Do you have an urgency, a desire in your heart to share that good news with other people around you? I don't know about you, but I'm not afraid to say I'm not a very stable person. I got a lot of problems, okay? I got a lot of issues. I really do. I'm not just saying that false humility. I really do. Ask Shannon, okay? And the more you guys, the more you guys get to know, no, amen's over here from the Langford bunch, all right? The more you guys, the more you guys get to know me, you're going to find that out. But Christ has changed my life. And I'm not sure the best way to do it, but if I can, if God will help me, I'm going to do the best I can to tell as many people as I possibly can the wonderful news about what he wants to do in their life. Would you agree with me today that our God is worth knowing? That's what we're going to talk about tonight in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 31. And as we move to those verses, I know we're kind of jumping into the middle of Isaiah chapter 40. I want to talk a little bit about Isaiah just to kind of give you a perspective from what we're talking about tonight. First of all, let me tell you this about the book of Isaiah itself. Isaiah is a very important book of the Bible. In fact, if you have not read the book of Isaiah, I would encourage you to seriously consider taking some time over the next little while to read Isaiah. Somebody said, it's been said that Isaiah is quoted over 65 times in the New Testament, more than any other Old Testament prophet. That tells you that his message was pretty important to the message of Christ, amen? But when we pick up in Isaiah chapter 40, a transition occurs, and you wouldn't know that if you hadn't read the whole book yet. And so I just want to kind of mark that tonight. When you read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking. Now, Israel was a divided kingdom at this time. It was divided into the northern kingdom, and it was divided into a southern kingdom, and that southern kingdom was called Judah. And Isaiah was primarily speaking to Judah during the, during the time in which he was living here on this earth. And he was being used by God to warn Judah to turn back to God. And then if they did not turn back to God, that some very serious consequences was going to happen. It was going to hurt them seriously as a nation. But all of a sudden, in chapter 40, something happens. A very dramatic transition happens. In chapter 40, Isaiah fast-forwards about 150 or 170 years or so. He, he fast-forwards into the future, and he pictures God's people. It's basically like if I, was, if I as a pastor today were saying, you know what, if our country does not turn to God, we're going to have some very serious consequences in the future. And if I said, you know what, God has spoken to my heart and he's kind of shown me that 150, 170, and I'm not a prophet like Isaiah. Isaiah had the ability to be inspired by God and to write down his word in this way. But in the same way Isaiah was able to go forward 150, 170 years, he says, you know, not only could that happen, guys, it's going to happen. And when it does, God's going to have a message of hope for you if you'll turn back to him. He imagines the struggles that they will face 150, almost 200 years later, and he's going to give them comfort. He's going to give them good news. And really, it's not just a message for Judah and Israel, but really, if you read the book of Isaiah, you'll see this is a message to all the peoples of the world. If you want to just kind of think of it this way, someone said Isaiah 1 through 39 really emphasizes the sovereign God. And Isaiah 40 through, I think it's chapter 66, emphasizes our saving God. Amen. And it's in that context of Isaiah 40 as we move forward that God leads Isaiah to give to Israel and really to us some of the greatest revelation that we have in God's word about what a great God he is. So let's look at verses 12 through 17. First of all, let's talk about how great 
is our God. Let's look at verses 12 through 17. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 9 because it sort of leads up to that. And it's kind of cool if you understand the context, the context of what I was just saying. Okay, these people, he's imagining that here we are over 100 years later. They are in captivity. They didn't believe God would allow this to happen. Finally, they reap the consequences of turning their back on him. He can imagine what they're going through during that time. And then it says, as he brings this message of hope, he says in verse 9, he says, Get yourself up on a high mountain. O Zion, he's talking to God's people, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mildly, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. That's what we're going to do in the next few moments. We're going to do our best to lift up and say, let me present to you who God is. Now, I'll just tell you here for just a moment. Are you ready? Are you ready to fasten your seatbelts? Okay. We're going to talk about some things, and I'm not trying to impress you with big things. I'm not trying to confuse you with big things. But I want us to just kind of imagine, here we sit on, in four, on 400 Brook Lane in Queensbury, New York. We've got our own little world, and sometimes we need to get a little bit beyond that. And that's what we're going to do over the next few moments, because we want to understand how great is this God that we're talking about. Let's look at uh, verses 12 through 17. It says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And who has marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding? And who taught him in the path of justice? Is talking about the Lord. Who taught him the things that, that are just and right and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, look at this. Wow, this is amazing. That's what it's saying in verse 15. The nations of the earth are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beast enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Okay, there's a lot here. And we won't be able to cover all of this tonight, but I just want to begin to unpack a little bit. What is the Bible saying to us? How great is our God? Let's start in verse 12. Just that first phrase in verse 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who's it referring to? Who's done that? God did that. Well, let's just ask ourselves the question. If God has a hand big enough to measure the waters in the hollow of his hand, how much water was that? He was measuring. From what they tell me, there is 326 million cubic miles of water on planet Earth. Or to put it a different way, that kind of makes a little more sense to me. There are 326 million trillion gallons of water on the Earth. By the way, a gallon's about eight pounds, isn't it? 326 million trillion gallons of water on there now let's try to understand that number because i don't know about you i know congress likes to talk about trillions you know but i don't really deal with trillions very often i wish it was funny amen a trillion seconds a trillion seconds ago was thirty-one thousand five hundred and forty-six years ago 326 million trillion and we were talking about gallons of water but just to put it in perspective, 326 million trillion seconds was just a little bit over 10 trillion years ago. 
Okay, when I say trillion, that means 10, but not six. That'd be what, kids? Six zeros would be a million. Good job. Okay, nine zeros would be a billion. Twelve zeros, that's what Congress is talking about when they're talking about those trillions. Ten with 12 zeros trillion years ago was 326 million trillion years. Okay, all of us have probably heard the classic stacking dollar bills illustration. Okay, let's talk about that for just a minute. If you took $1 bills, and if you stacked them to get $100, that would be about a half an inch. If you took those same $1 bills and you stacked them to get $1,000, $1,000 bills, that would be about four and a half inches. If you stacked $1 million $1 bills, that would be a little bit over a football field, about 358 feet. If you stacked $1 billion $1 bills, that would be about 70 miles high. If you stacked $1 trillion million bills, it would be 70,000 miles high. A stack of 300 million trillion, because that's how many gallons of water we said was on planet Earth. A stack of 300 million trillion dollar bills would be 300 million times 70,000 miles. Can anybody say, wow, amen? (laughs) By the way, that means our national debt. Because I know you're thinking about it. And one dollar bills is one million miles high. So what are we trying to say? 326 million trillion gallons of water is a whole lot of water, amen? Now let's go back to verse 12. The Bible says, Who has measured that much water in his hand? Our God has measured that much water. I'm impressed. How about you? How great is our God? Let's look at the next, just, one, just, just phrase. We're not even finished with the verse yet. Look at verse 12. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens by the span? The question I want to ask is, how big is the universe? Because the Bible says that God marked, and this is a very specific word of measurement that's being used here. It's talking about very specific. God has marked off the heavens by a measurement called a span. We're going to talk about that here in just a minute. But listen, how big is the universe? And answer that question, one secular source, this is not a Christian, one secular source is how big is the universe? Could it be infinitely large? Our experience with the everyday world does not prepare us. Now again, friends, I don't want to lose you here. But for just a moment, I would like for us to get lost a little bit in our little world and kind of get a little bit, let God expand our horizon a little bit. Amen? Okay, this person said, Our experience with everyday world does not prepare us, this is not a Christian speaking, to grasp the concept of an infinite universe. Light travels at just over 186,000 miles per second. Wow. That's top speed in this universe. Nothing that we know of can go faster but it's relatively slow compared to the distances that we need to travel. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. After that, that means light is going 186,000 miles, 1,000, we just went 186,000 miles per second. And our, our galaxy takes 100,000 light years. Light going that fast for a year, 100,000 times. After that, the nearest biggest galaxy is 2 million light years 
away. Though we have been able to see farther and farther into space, scientists are beginning to realize there is a horizon to how far we can see. There is a limit. It looks like we're getting to a place that we just time-wise, we wouldn't have the ability to have enough time to see beyond a certain point. This horizon describes our visible universe, a region some 28 billion light years across. So what they're saying is, we might have the capability to see across 28 billion light years. And there is every reason to believe that the universe extends a long way beyond this part of the universe that we can begin to see. In fact, a variety of observations suggest that what we're able to see may only be a small fraction, maybe an infinitely small fraction of what is the whole universe so let's unpack that for just a minute based on those observations about the potential size of our universe if light travels 186,000 miles a second that means that over the course of a year light would travel six trillion miles for a year okay and if all we can see is that our universe is 28 billion light years across that means, and I'm going to put that big, uh, big uh, number on the screen, that means that we can see 168... Derek, you know what those zeros mean? I don't, I don't have a clue. 21 zeros, okay? 168 with 21 zeros, that's how far we can potentially identify. And what this person is saying is, that is very likely, infinitely, a small part of the whole. Wow. And this is what verse 12 says. Our God has marked that off. Not the 168 with 21 zeros. That's that's an infinitely small part of the bigger. God has marked off the whole thing by a span. Do you know what a span is? A span was basically the distance between your thumb and your uh, pinky. So God has marked off all of that with his thumb and his pinky. Just kind of, you know, we got, okay, we got that there, and we got that there. Okay, I just try to think about it from our perspective. If you can imagine going from here to California like this. Can you imagine? Okay, so kids, we're going to have fun. We're going across the country here, and we're going to go nine inches at a time. Okay, so we're just going to kind of, I'm going to put my fingers down. Y'all make a mark. We're going to do it again. Y'all make a mark. Well, I figured it up. That's 3,000 miles at over 60,000 inches in a mile. That would be about 21 million of my hands going like that. You would never do that, right? You know what? I actually do use that. I didn't know it's called a span, but I actually do use that measurement. If you're a fisherman, you know what, okay? Because you got to know, is this fish big enough to keep? I know that actually mine's about eight to nine inches. So when I catch a fish, and that tells you how big my fish are, okay? And when I catch a fish, I hold it up, and if he maybe makes it across my hand, that tells me he's eight inches. Okay, well, that just tells you how big our God is. Because to him, I mean, I'm going to use that for something that it fits, right? To him, it fits to take his pinky and his thumb and just kind of put them up there to make a measurement. That's how big our God is. By the way, if we did go to California and God's unit of measure, the speed of of light, in one second, we could have gone there and back 30 times. Are you beginning to understand 
that our God is a pretty amazing, massive God. The rest of verse 12 tells us this. It says, who has measured the waters in the hall of his hand? Who has marked off the heavens <laughs> nine inches at a time? Who has calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? He knows exactly how many dust particles not only are in this room, but are on the face of the earth. He knows exactly how much right now Mount Marcy weighs. He knows how much. He can tell you right now. Just curious. I wonder how much Mount Marcy weighs. God can say it weighs this. He already knows that. Verses 13 and 14 take us in a different direction. In talking about the greatness of God, it talks about God's knowledge. Who's going to correct God? Who's going to kind of help him with his homework? I was helping the kids with some homework last week, some science and some little physics kind of stuff. And, you know, it's been a few years since I've done that stuff. So I sat there and I said, hold on just a minute. I'll help you in just a minute. But I got to kind of go back 15 years. All right. So I began to kind of look at it. And okay, now it's beginning to make sense. It's beginning to come together. And I was just like, wow, these people are smart. Man, who figured this stuff out? And whoever did figure it out, how do people read it and figure it out and learn it? I mean, it's, it's difficult stuff. But you know what? The best of our people, the best of our minds on our best day do not compare with the Lord. It says, who's directed the Spirit of the Lord? The same word that's used in this passage is saying that same carefully marked off like God did. Who's helping God? Who's, who's adjusting his calculations? Who's saying to him, oh, you missed a few billion miles? Or who told him he's something he didn't already know? By the way, have you, ever, have you ever had some expertise at something and somebody who didn't know as much about it tried to explain it to you? <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I do this, right? I do this for a living. Okay, that's kind of how it is with the Lord. For us to try to explain things to him, God's like, yeah, yeah, like, not only does he understand it, yeah, I like, I created it. You know, I, I came up with it. It was my idea. I started in the first place. Then in verse 15, it takes us in a different direction. It says, behold, look at this, pay attention. And maybe the reason for this was because, uh, because Judah was struggling with some other nations. But it says, listen, pay attention to this. God is to be compared with all the nations of the world. Let's compare the nations with him. Now, I don't know how many nations there are. There's different numbers. Some people say 170. Some people say 250. I think the round number is around 200. There's 200 nations. Let's just say that in the world. Those nations cover about 37 billion acres of landmass with about 7 billion people on them. The Bible says all of that to God. Okay, have you ever been carrying like a five-gallon bucket? Now, I understand, you know, if you trip and you like lose the whole thing, that's pretty tragic. You know, it's got, I got wet or I got to go, I got to start all over. But I mean, we're just talking about if you had just like a little dropper. Okay, if you're carrying your five-gallon bucket, it was just like a little drop. Would you notice that? Would you say, oh, we got to start all over? And you say, you know, that doesn't even matter. It doesn't even count. When I'm filling up a five-gallon bucket, I don't even pay attention to that. The Bible says that that is the way the nations and the peoples and the countries of the world compare with God. It's not even a drop in his bucket. Then in verse 16, it goes in a different direction. It talks about what God's worth or how much he deserves. Lebanon during this time was known for its great trees, kind of like our Adirondack Park. Okay, the Adirondack Park is a pretty amazing thing for us to have in our in our state. There are 6.1 million acres of land. I've heard, I've read that 85% of the wilderness areas in the United States are found in the Adirondack Park. Isn't that amazing? If you combine Yellowstone, Yosemite, Glacier Park, the Grand Canyon, and Great Smoky Parks, Great Smoky Mountain Parks combined, the Adirondack Park 
is bigger than all of them. And what it's saying in these verses is, if you took all of the trees in their Adirondack Park, and you took all the animals in the park, and you just kind of had this big offering, you started this big fire, this big bonfire, and you sacrificed those animals, and it's talking in terms of the Jewish people because uh, their relationship with God, the, the, there was the idea, the understanding of making sacrifices. It says if you took all those animals and all those trees and you sacrificed it to God, he would be so great it would still not be enough. And they would have said, wow. Wow, that's amazing. By the way, this should be clear evidence to us. There is never any amount that we can offer to God to make us right with him. God never intended for us to, to do real good or to work real hard. The, the obvious thing that we're to take away from this is not, oh, I don't measure up. That's not what God's saying. Oh, turn away from me. You're no good. What God is saying is, I have to do it for you. You're going to have to trust me. The standard is so high, it is impossible for you to reach. And after we read all that, I mean, to be honest with you, we should be standing in applause to God. We should be saying, oh my goodness, I never knew that. I never knew this. I mean, I, I knew God is big. I mean, we kind of use words, don't we? God is awesome. God is majestic. And we use those words, but I hope tonight by listening to some of the reality in our terms that God is helping us to see, do you understand what a great God our God is? Anybody remember Chuck Norris? I think he's still around. You know, Walker, Texas Ranger, and all kinds of karate and kind of stuff. Basically, don't mess with the guy. Amen? All right. Somebody told me this about Chuck Norris. Most people look under their bed at night to look for monsters. Monsters look under their bed to see if Chuck Norris is in there. Okay? All right. All right, but what about guys? Okay, we know he doesn't sleep, okay? It's just an analogy. But God, he's not even sweating. He, Chuck Norris, go ahead, Chuck. Go ahead, hide under there. God is not sweating one bit. And that really leads us to the next verses. There is no one who can compare with him. Look at verses 18 to 26. It says, to whom then? When you understand that, when you begin to understand that, to whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman crafts it. Cast it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering, someone who didn't have enough for metal or for precious, uh, precious metals, that person selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Almost, I just saw him, you know, like, uh, it's almost like you're, you know, you're getting in bed at night, you pull the covers over. That's the way that universe we described, that's kind of, you know, God just kind of pulls the sheets up, okay? He spreads it out like a tent, it says in the next verse, to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless or void, Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. And you can almost see God just doing revelry. Okay, stars, everybody line up. Everybody's coming out and line up. Yes, sir. 
And he knows every single one of them by name. Amazing. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one star is missing. In verses 18 through 20, it basically brings out the fact that because we know in our hearts that there's a bigger story. And, you know, we express that in different ways, but all of us have a sense in our heart that there is a bigger story. There's a bigger picture. There's a desire in our hearts to worship someone or something. And the best that we can do is turn our attention to physical things around us. It might be something like in these passages, you know what? There are people around the world who build things, who physically build an idol. They put that in their house. They worship that thing that some man or some person put together, they worship that thing. Or, or maybe we don't worship a, an idol in terms of something like that, but we worship something else God made. We worship the sun, or we worship the moon, or we worship creation, or maybe we even worship other people. But when we begin to, to understand the vastness of who God is, it makes all those little toys of ours. What am I doing? That God... That great God that I was just talking about, why would I be worshiping this little thing? I mean, whatever, whatever, just this stuff, whatever, just why would I worship this thing? There is really no one who can compare with him. Then in verses 21 through 26, again, it reiterates some of those things we just said. I want to bring out there, though, it does kind of bring in something we're dealing with right now, politics. He says, he, he it is who reduces rulers to nothing who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. We're talking about politics. We're talking about courts. We're even talking about a bad boss. Okay? Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely have they taken their stock, their stock taken root. What it's saying is they don't last for very long. Isn't that true? You know, there's some, uh, there's some of us here who we, we watch other people who love God and who are following him maybe who we consider are faithful people to God. And we want to we want to kind of pat them on the back. We want to kind of put them on a pedestal. And you know what? I understand the Bible says that when someone uh, does something meaningful in our life that we want to give appreciation or encouragement, and, that, and that's great. But what I'm talking about is we need to be careful about putting people who are responding to God on a pedestal because if you think about it, that just kind of makes it look rare. But really, it should be common. Amen. It should, be, it should be what we all are doing. The only right response is, yes, Lord. And by the way, I just want to encourage you, just in case you thought God was giving you all this revelation just to make you feel bad, or just to make you feel small, or just to make you feel ashamed, that is not the reason that he gave all this information. When we turn to the next few verses here, you're going to see that what he was trying to do is to show you if you put your trust in him, how much hope you can have for your life. Let's look at verses 27 through 31. This God, it's worth knowing he cares about us. You know, we've been through some vast, kind of, in some sense, overwhelming information tonight. And it might make us forget. It might cause us to forget the point that God's really making here. So let me remind us about that. Friend, Listen. Because it probably sounds a lot like maybe our lives. God led Isaiah to write. 150 to 170 years later. Because he knew that those people were going to find themselves in trouble. They were going to find themselves, you know what? God said we were going to get in trouble. We did get in trouble. And here we are. We're stuck. But what God wanted them to understand is when you get to that place, and you will because you're not listening to me, but when you get to that place, 
When that does come true and you find yourselves in trouble, I want to remind you once again who I am and how much I care for you. And, and, and now, if you wouldn't back then, in your time of trial, would you finally let these circumstances turn you to that great God? Look at verses 27 through 31. It says, why do you say, O Jacob? It's just talking about God's people. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. Now, that's just kind of a way of saying, like many of us, does God even care about me? Does God even know I'm here? Does he even see my situation? It says, why do you say that? Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not become weary or tired. Hey, I know he spoke this to you 150 years ago, but he's not tired. After 150 years, yeah, you've had some people pass away and they've gotten weak and they've changed and they've gotten older, but God has not changed. His understanding is inscrutable. There's no searching it out. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. You know, each one of us here tonight are in different places in our life. And there may be some of us very well who are in that chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah. You know what? God is calling out to you through Isaiah, through his prophet, even still today. Thousands of years later, he is saying to you, you know what? You are headed toward that point. I'm cautioning you. I'm warning you. Don't go there. And God would just use his message tonight to say, don't get to the place that Israel had to get to. Listen to the Lord. Turn to the Lord now. You don't want to go that route before it's too late. Then there are others of us. It's too late, isn't it? In fact, that's where many of us find ourselves. And you know what? It might be that you, know, you grew up in church or your parents taught you right or, or, or you've had a walk with God and you knew better and you just, you just turned away from the Lord for a while and now it's gotten you in a mess. Or there are some of us who bless your heart. You know what? Nobody ever told you about God. You didn't grow up in church. You didn't know the ways to go. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man but the end there of his death. And you know what? I just ended up on a path. I was doing the best I could and here I am and I find myself in trouble. You know what the Bible says? There's good news for you. This God, he is worth knowing and good news, he wants you to come to him. He cares about you. That great God that we've been talking about. I was riding home the other night thinking about this and I was just overwhelmed. God, I don't understand it. When you read, when you hear the reality, and then there's so much more. In fact, kids, listen, don't back away from studying science and astronomy and all those kind of things. God's not, God's not um, uh, intimidated by us learning the truth. But many of the people who made the discoveries in science early on were people who were trying to understand, what did God do? I just want to explore what God has done. And the more that we explore God, the more that we say, I was just sitting there the other night just thinking, you know, we're here on this little dot in the universe. Why would God send his son for me? I do not know, do you? I'm not going to overanalyze it. I say, thank you, Lord. And what does that mean? And I'm hoping tonight that if God's speaking to your heart, that you'll make that decision. He's a God worth knowing. But listen, friends, this is where we ultimately need to go with this. The real message of this series that we're doing is let the nations be glad. 
Okay, so tonight you can be glad. You can know the Lord. You can have a relationship with him. We need to see an even bigger picture. God had chosen to work through the Israelite people, through a special group of people, so that, did we talk about this last week? He blessed them so that the nations could be blessed. Okay, tonight, praise God if God's speaking to your heart. But listen, what really God wants to say is, unfortunately, instead of being able to work, uh, to speak through the Jewish people, he was always having to speak to the Jewish people. He couldn't use them for his glory because he was always having to get them kind of straight. You know what, tonight, if that's what needs to happen in your heart, then that's the place to start. But it's not the place to stop. When God gets you right in your relationship with him, what he's really saying is, I want the whole world to know me. Will you allow me to work through your life to let them know what I've done for them? Prince and I, I was so excited to preach this message this weekend because you know what? I could never say enough. Our God is worth knowing. The more I get to know him, I really, you know, I got trust issues like some of you. When I first started walking with Jesus, I thought it might be a trick. I thought maybe eventually it'd come up short and I'd say, hmm, should have known. I got to tell you, I've been trying for 25 years to prove him wrong. He keeps getting better. Amen? Tonight, the God of the universe, does it blow you away that he would condescend to come to this little room where only about 100 people can even fit and he would speak to your heart? It's absolutely breathtaking, isn't it? Tonight, would you surrender your life to a God like that? Would you bow with me as we think about that for just a moment? The reason tonight we want to just think about the vastness of this universe of God's creation is because we know that it doesn't even compare with him. If it is so massive, if it is so amazing, I wonder what he is like. Tonight you might be a Christian and you're worried very simply but very really about a bill that's going to be paid next week. God, I don't know where that money's going to come from. I am really concerned that we're not going to be able to pay it. I have a feeling that a God that big, he's not stretched by that problem. What do you think? I think he can do it. I think if you'll trust him, he'll show you the way. You might be here tonight, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. So you know, but I cannot figure out my marriage. A God who could speak that vastness into existence surely could handle the challenge I'm facing. It's not to minimize your challenge. It's to maximize the offer. Today, will you trust in him, friend? You're a follower of Jesus. Will you just trust him? We just say to him, Lord Jesus, you know, it's hard. I, I've tried so hard for so long. It's hard, God. Thankfully, he's patient with us, isn't he? Would you just come to him as his precious child and say, Jesus, just help me to trust you more, to believe you in this circumstance. And tonight, friend, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, 
You can look long and hard the rest of your life and you will never find anyone who compares with this guy. And the amazing thing is that he would have been that kind of God whether he saved us or not, he'd have been a great guy. But he also loves us. And he wants us to be with him. Tonight, he could make you do that. But he chooses to call out to you, even through a frail servant like me, to say, I'm speaking to you tonight. Will you trust me? You call upon me, just like those other two people have this week. Would you ask Jesus to come into your life and to set up his residence and be your savior? Heavenly Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that we can learn and study and become aware of that will change our lives. Tonight I pray, Lord, that you'll use what has been shared to transform someone's situation or even their heart, their soul tonight. Each one of us, Lord, will respond to the God that we've heard about tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I just uh, began to sense, even from the beginning of the service, that God was just wanting to show us who He is. That's such a gift, isn't it? He doesn't have to reveal Himself to us, He doesn't owe us anything. Tonight, would you just quit fighting him? Say, God, I'm sorry. I just want to trust you tonight. Well, I don't know how to do that. Hey, even be honest with him. God, the reason I have trouble trusting you is because I can't see you. And the people that I can see, all of those have let me down. Isn't that true? Many people tell me that. God, I can't trust you because so many people I do know have let me down. I, I, I gave them my heart. How, how can I know? The Bible says whoever puts their trust in him will not be put to shame. You will not walk out onto the end of the limb and God saw it off and leave you for dead. You might be on the end of the limb and you might hear a saw going and you might see some sawdust. But you can know with all your heart God will not abandon me. <laughs> will you trust him tonight? It's a decision you have to make.